On Friday, it felt like the Orioles officially got their offseason underway with a plethora of moves, including signing Kyle Gibson to a one-year contract to join the starting rotation. And coming up on this episode, we'll break down Gibson, what he did in Philadelphia last year, his career so far, and why he could help the Orioles by actually being a better version of Jordan Lyles. Plus, we'll get to some other Orioles news and notes coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, December 5th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to break down the Orioles' first big free agent signing of the offseason as they brought in Kyle Gibson on a one-year deal on Friday. Now, as of recording here, right after 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday afternoon, we do not yet know the financial details of the Gibson deal. We do know it's a one-year deal. We can predict it's somewhere in the 9 or $10 million range for one year, but we don't know the number. So if you hear me not talking about it, and it has been announced by Monday, that is what you should know. And also, I'm recording here at 4.30. Winter meetings have just kicked off in San Diego. Maybe the Orioles make another move after I record. We'll have you all updated right here on the Locked on Orioles podcast. We'll have it all updated all week here on the pod. Five episodes this week, Monday through Friday. If the Orioles make a move, we will cover it here on the podcast, whether it's another big free agent signing, whether it's a big trade. Of course, we'll cover the Rule 5 draft on Wednesday. The draft lottery comes up on Tuesday. It's a big week at the winter meetings in San Diego this week. I'll have all the coverage for you right here on the Locked on Orioles podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen. And also like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles podcast channel on YouTube to get all your up updated info and follow us at locked on Orioles on Twitter. I did a live reaction immediately after the Kyle Gibson signing on Friday. So you can get that content as well over on our Twitter page. And we thank you for making locked on Orioles your first podcast. Listen of the day for your first listen today. Let's jump right into it. Kyle Gibson signed by the Orioles on Friday, the 35 year old right-handed pitcher Orioles ink him to a one year major league deal. Again, we don't know the financial details yet, but as you've seen from the free agent class of starting pitchers, it's probably gonna be right around $10 million for the 2023 season. Is it concerning that the deal was announced then? And I'm recording here Sunday evening and we don't have the finances, maybe a tad bit, but some teams it just takes longer to get everything official pen to paper team tweets it out team puts out the press release i have no worries that he's not going to end up in oriole but again we're waiting on those final financials but until then let's start with who are the orioles getting in kyle gibson again a 35 year old right-hander who was a first round pick of the minnesota twins all the way back in 2009 and then made his mlb debut with minnesota in 2013 this will be his 11th big league season when he pitches for the Orioles in 2023. Now, he's pitched with the Philadelphia Phillies for the past year and a half, spent the entirety of last year, went to the World Series with Philly in 2022, was actually traded over to the Phillies at the 2021 deadline, and had been in Philly since then until his most recent contract expired. But with Philly this year, 
it wasn't exactly a banner season on the surface for Kyle Gibson in 2022. Now, the one good thing was he did stay healthy. He made 31 starts for the Phillies this season, but he wasn't quite the innings eater that a guy like Jordan Lyles was. He was close, but 167 and two-thirds innings for Kyle Gibson this year in 31 starts. He had a 5.05 ERA with 7.7 strikeouts and 2.6 walks per nine. However, despite a 5.05 ERA, it was a 4.28 FIP. He was worth 1.8 war, according to Fangraphs, on the season. Now, you may be wondering, 5.05 ERA, why would the Orioles sign a guy that bad? Heck, Jordan Lyles had, you know, a 4.5 ERA. Why wouldn't they just bring him back? Well, when you dive into the numbers a little bit further with a 4.28 FIP, which is a stat that kind of takes defense out of the equation to show how good a pitcher would be, you realize that the Philadelphia Phillies, well, they have the 25th ranked defense out of 30 teams in all of baseball. And especially that infield defense, pretty horrendous. And when you have a sinker ball pitcher like Kyle Gibson is with a bad infield defense, his stats are going to get inflated. And that's exactly what happened. Now, the Orioles had a top 10 defense in baseball in 2022. Ramon Arias won the gold glove at third. Jorge Mateo won the Fielding Bible Award at shortstop. And you had the mixture of Rugnet Odor, Ryan Mountcastle, Gunnar Henderson, and others throughout the infield who played good defense all year. The Orioles will have a lot of that group back next year and expecting to have a top 10 defense again. So the number one thing is Kyle Gibson fits better in an Orioles uniform. Now, I know the ERA, a little bit concerning. Not a big-time strikeout pitcher, 20% K rate, about a 7% walk rate. Those are both right around league average in his 2022 season. And he was on the playoff roster for the Phillies. Now, unfortunately, he was not in that playoff rotation because Kyle Gibson was truly horrendous down the stretch. And actually, if you cut out his September and October, his numbers across the board look a whole lot better, like a whole lot better. But what he did in September and October just can't be ignored. It, it was bad. In 28 and two-thirds innings in the final month and change of the season, Gibson had a 9.73 ERA for the Phillies. Opponents hit 364 against him in that time, and he was allowing 2.2 home runs per nine in that month. Now, Gibson on the season allowed 1.3 home runs per nine, which is a pretty high number. He was at 2.2 in September and October, just was giving up jacks left and right. And of course, a small hitter's ballpark at Citizens Bank Park in Philly. But before that, he had a great August. He had a 2.30 ERA in August and then just collapsed. And a lot of it, you know, we'll get to about his stuff. It just didn't look the same down the stretch. Now, the Phillies still chose to put him on the playoff roster because he was a veteran pitcher with experience, had pitched in the postseason before. But they were never going to give him a start. And even though the Phillies made it all the way to Game 6 of the World Series, Gibson only made two appearances, both in relief and both essentially in blowout games in the postseason. He pitched two and a third innings. He didn't allow an earned run, but was never in a key spot at all for the Phillies. They held him on the roster, but never really used him. So that does tell you that at this point, teams aren't really trusting him as a top part of the rotation guy. But that's not what the Orioles signed him to be anyway. So that's okay. On the flip side of kind of the negatives that came from his 2022 season, Kyle Gibson was an all-star in 2021. That's just one year ago. 
he was named to the All-Star team. He started the year with the Texas Rangers and really was awesome with Texas before the trade deadline. He made 19 starts for the Rangers last year and in 113 innings, posted a 2.87 ERA with about 7.5 Ks per nine. He was mowing down hitters. He, you know, his ground ball rate was over 50%, which is the usual for Kyle Gibson. The sinker was really working. And he had kind of everything going. But Texas was out of the race, and they decided to trade him to the Phillies at the trade deadline last year. Now, one thing to remember is it was getting a lot of ground balls when he was in that Texas uniform. ERA was down. And you go back and look at the numbers. What team had the number one ranked defense in all of baseball in 2021? That would be the Texas Rangers. He then gets traded to a Philly team, which had, once again, a bottom five defense in all of baseball last year. And here's what happened to his numbers. This is what he did in Philly after the trade. 12 appearances, 11 starts, in 69 innings, a 5.09 ERA right now. Still a 4.04 FIP. So again, the Phillies' defense hurt him a lot and jumped his numbers way, way up in Philadelphia. So a lot of what you look at really does show you. Kyle Gibson can succeed, but he needs a good defense behind him. And that's what he's going to get in Baltimore, which is why I think it does make sense for him to come to the Orioles. Now, you like what he did in the first half with Texas. Since then, you're a little concerned. In 2020, it wasn't very good in the shortened season, but it's only 12 starts. You go back to 2019 in Minnesota. That was his last year there. 160 innings, a solid year. Really the best year of his career, you got to go back to 2018. His age 30 season... He made 32 starts, a career high, threw 196 and two-thirds innings. That was also a career high. He has actually thrown 179 or more innings four different times. So he certainly can be an innings eater. And in those almost 200 innings in 2018, he did post a 3.62 ERA with Minnesota. That's probably his best season. But at this point, he's a little bit of a different pitcher. You know, we're talking four-plus years later. And if you look at the stuff, though, it's interesting that, you know, when Gibson came up all the way back in 2013 as a 25-year-old righty with the Twins who made 10 starts down the stretch with them that year, he was kind of a a kitchen sink guy with the sinker but everything else, and he still kind of is. Gibson still throws six different pitches. As we kind of dive into his pitch arsenal here, sinker, cutter, slider, four-seam fastball, changeup, and curveball. Now, the sinker has always been his number one pitch, always been known as a sinker baller. He threw that pitch on average about 92 miles per hour this year, and he just tries to get ground balls with it. He will get the strikeout with it. He does, you know, pop it in the zone for strike one, but he is looking for ground balls with that pitch. Now, the interesting change in Kyle Gibson's stuff is the cutter. The cutter was a pitch that he basically introduced in 2021 and really helped him have success early in the year with Texas. Now... He actually threw the cutter even more in 2022, and it became his second most used pitch. So he trusted that cut fastball even more to kind of play off his sinker, which you're seeing a lot of pitchers do in Major League Baseball these days, kind of go with the sinker and the cutter. But Gibson played that sinker pretty well, and that cutter even better. It became his number two pitch. Now the numbers went a little bit down, for Gibson's cutter 
in 2022 in terms of you know how guys were hitting against it. They hit 244 against it after hitting about 220 against it last year, but it was still a good get-me-over pitch that he could throw in the strike zone and didn't really hurt him too much about an 89-mile-per-hour cutter to go along with the 92-mile-per-hour sinker. Then you have the strikeout pitch for Kyle Gibson. That is the slider. It's his third most used pitch. Again, he throws the sinker about 28% of the time, cutter 22% of the time, and the slider he threw 21% of the time this year. An 83-mile-per-hour slider from Kyle Gibson. That is by far the most elite pitch that he throws. Opponents hitches 221 against it this year. It had a 38% whiff rate, by far the highest whiff rate of any pitch he threw this year. And it was arguably even better in 2021. Opponents hit just 182 against the slider last year with a 43% whiff rate. I mean, that was one of the best sliders in all of Major League Baseball. That pitch Gibson was throwing in 2021. So you look at him, and although he's not this crazy high strikeout guy, he really never has been, and he certainly still isn't that kind of guy, he's got an elite pitch, and that is always something that you are looking for. Does this guy have an elite pitch? And there's a serious argument that that slider is still an elite pitch for Kyle Gibson. Now, behind the slider, he's kind of got just some other stuff he'll throw at you. He does have a four-seam fastball, also sits at 92. Generally more of a pitch to, to get him a strike when he needs it. Then he has the changeup, which has been an interesting pitch throughout his career. Mostly throws it to get lefties out, about 85 miles per hour, 28% whiff rate. And then he will drop in kind of a bigger, slower curveball at times. Only threw it 6% of the time this year, a 79-mile-per-hour curveball, which he also throws more so to get lefties out as well. But that's kind of his breakdown. You'll see him get the ground balls on the sinker. He'll try to jam the lefties in with the cutter to get soft contact, and then he goes for the strikeout with the slider. That's kind of his main three deliveries that you'll see him go with out there on the mound. And again, you know, not a terrible 2022. Not nearly as bad as the ERA would tell you. Again, the FIP was down. It was a bad defense behind him. He, he's pretty even between lefties and righties. You know, it's not like one side of the plate kills him, which is really good for a starter who you want to eat innings. He can get lefties and righties out. He's a little better against righties because that slider is so good. But in general, they're fairly even. And the big thing that happened to him this year is I mentioned that September when he had a 9.73 ERA over the last month of the season. He just kept leaving his slider in the middle of the plate. His slider got hit around 500. It, it was over 400 that opponents hit against his slider in September. Whereas in August, when he had 230 ERA, opponents hit 095, under 100 against that slider. So he just kind of lost his stuff, just had a bad month at the end. It really inflated his numbers. But I believe in this Kyle Gibson signing because, and here's the big thing, this is not the Orioles' ace signing. This is not the guy they are going to trust to lead their rotation. He's a guy who's going to help them at the back end, but he is not the guy that they are just 100% putting all the chips right there in the Kyle Gibson pot. Because coming up next, we're going to talk about where does Gibson fit on this Orioles team? And we still can't fully answer the question because the O's certainly aren't done adding to the team this offseason. But how will Gibson fit in? With the 2023 Baltimore Orioles, we answer that up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.net, which is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis this winter. And unfortunately, the U.S. men's national team suffering a 3-1 loss to the Netherlands 
on Saturday to end their World Cup run in the round of 16. But the World Cup's still going on every single day with the knockout round here. And you can get all the odds, all the lines on every game from Qatar at betonline.net. Of course, they've got college football with bowl season coming up here soon. You've got the NFL every Sunday as well. College basketball, the NBA, the NHL. They've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, which I hope you do if you're listening to this one, you can find those at BetOnline as well. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more at BetOnline, where the game starts. So the Orioles bring in Kyle Gibson on Friday on a one-year deal. We have not seen, at least to this point, of recording on Sunday evening. The money on the deal, expecting it to be right around a one-year, $10 million deal for Kyle Gibson. And the question becomes now, well, where does Gibson fit on this Orioles team? Because obviously, if they're signing a veteran guy, a 35-year-old righty, been in the league for 10 years, you know, had 31 starts for the National League champion Philadelphia Phillies last year, the Orioles are planning to have him be in the starting rotation because he never really pitched out of the bullpen for long stretches. They're not going to put him there. He is a rotation piece, and they're probably investing enough money in him where you say he's going to go into the rotation. So the question becomes, where does he fit in? And the first thing to say is Kyle Gibson is an upgraded Jordan Lyles. As we know, Lyles, who the O's signed to a one-year contract last year with a second-year option, Eight some innings for them, had about an average ERA at four and a half, had some good starts, had some bad starts. And then the Orioles declined his $11 million option for 2023 earlier in the offseason. Now, the worry was that the Orioles didn't want to spend that much on a starter and that they were just being cheap again. Well, I would assume Kyle Gibson is going to cost right around that $11 million, except he's going to be better than Jordan Lyles. He has been in the past, and he will be moving forward. That's kind of the number one thing to focus on here. You know, Jordan Lyles, he'll be 32 next year, Gibson 35, so a little younger. But he gave the O's 179 innings, a 4.42 ERA, a 4.40 FIP this season. That's fine to have at the back end of the rotation. But you look at Gibson, who had a 4.28 FIP with the Phillies last year. Again, that terrible defense made his ERA jump upward. But now with the O's, Gibson can go back to what makes him good. He had only a 45.9% ground ball rate with the Phillies last year. That was by far the lowest ground ball rate of his career. Gibson, across the board, almost every season, ground ball rate is over 50%. He's a true ground ball pitcher with that sinker. But what you also notice from Gibson's season this year is that he threw less sinkers and less changeups. Two pitches that kind of move the same way and have in the past induced a lot of the ground balls that Gibson likes to get. So you look at the ground ball rate down, the pitch uses for the grounders down, and the fact that the Phillies, again, the 25th ranked defense in baseball with an awful defensive infield. Alec Boehm was a mess at third base. Reese Hoskins was terrible at first base. They had Didi Gregorius at short for a while. He was awful. Bryson Stott made him better at shortstop. Gene Segura was fine at second, but in general, it was not good. And when you add in their outfield, I mean, with, with Schwarber and Castellanos out there so much, that was a nightmare as well after Bryce Harper got injured. But you have to think, with the pitch usage differing, did Gibson change the way he pitches to kind of ease up the pressure on a bad Phillies infield defense? Did he try to induce a few more fly balls than usual because he didn't trust the defense behind him? And did that hurt him 
in the long run this season? Well, now that he's in Baltimore, the Orioles, who by advanced metrics, their defense ranked ninth in all of Major League Baseball in 2022. As I mentioned, you know, at the very least, you're looking at Henderson, Mateo, Orias, and Mountcastle. Even if the Orioles don't add to the infield, that's an elite defensive infield right now for the Baltimore Orioles. And if they add to it, it's going to be guys who can play defense as well. Gibson can bring back his usual sinker usage. He can throw more changeups if he wants. He can get that ground ball rate back up over 50% where it's been most of his year. He can go back to being the true sinker baller, and he can pitch to his strengths. And when you look at his FIP, his fielding independent pitching, being at 4.28, it's not a perfect correlation, but it kind of shows you more like what would Gibson's year have been like had he had an average defense behind him. It would have been more like a 4.2 ERA. Well, the Orioles are a well above average defense, so maybe he would have had a you know below four ERA had he been pitching in Baltimore last year. And that's not even to mention the fact that on the flip side, Gibson, even though he's been a ground ball pitcher, when guys hit the ball in the air against him, he's always had a little bit of a home run problem. And he allowed 1.29 homers per nine this season with the Phillies. That was up from his last couple of seasons in total He did give up 24 home runs this year, tied for his career high. Also gave up 24 back in 2017 with Minnesota when he had a 5-plus ERA that year as well. But he's had some seasons where the home runs have hurt him. Well, if you notice what the Orioles have done to the ballpark, moving the wall way back in left field, it made Camden Yards go from the most home run prone park, the most hitter-friendly park in baseball at times, to... It flipped to a pitcher-friendly ballpark in 2022, and they're going to keep the dimensions at least for next year, which means it's going to be a pitcher ballpark again in 2023. Now, Gibson was pitching at Citizens Bank Park, and that's certainly in the top 10 in terms of hitters' parks in baseball. So he's going to flip it from a hitters' park to a pitcher's park. He's going to go from a terrible defense to a good defense. And when you look at that much of a difference between his ERA and his FIP over the last couple years with Philly, everything in the numbers and the ballpark he's heading to, and the defense he's getting to play with, tells me that just on the surface, Gibson's ERA is going to be a lot better, even if he just pitches the exact same way. Even if the Orioles don't make any tweaks, he's going to be a better pitcher with the O's in 23. But then you get the Orioles pitching development system, getting to work with Chris Holt and others, and maybe they can fine-tune something in that repertoire that can be even better. You add all those factors in, I wouldn't be surprised if Gibson pitches closer to the level we saw in those 19 starts with Texas last year that got him a 2.87 ERA, that got him into the All-Star game before they traded him to the Phillies and things kind of went downhill for Kyle Gibson. That's why I think this is a pretty good signing for the Orioles at this point. And the other thing to remember is this is not the O's ace signing. They are bringing in Kyle Gibson to be the number four or five starter in this rotation. I know a lot of people were upset immediately. Oh, of course, you know, they're not going to get Rodon. They're not going to get Verlander, DeGrom, or Chris Bassett. You know, they're going to settle for Kyle Gibson. That's all they're going to do. They're just basically bringing in Jordan Lyles again, but in a different name. No, he's a better version of Lyles because he still eats innings. He's gotten to almost 200 innings multiple times in his career. He can certainly do it again. He's a veteran guy, 35 years old, been around the league for 10 years, pitched in the postseason, pitched on bad teams, pitched on good teams, can help out these young starters just like Lyles did, but on the field and his production is going to be better. And that's something I've talked about all offseason, specifically talked about when the Orioles declined Lyles' option. 
I thought they were declining his option because they thought they could get another pitcher for the same amount of money, the $11 million that Lyles was due, and I'm assuming the Gibson contract was around $11 million, could be even less. They felt like they could get a pitcher who was a veteran like Lyles, could still help the young guys in the rotation, could still eat innings, and would still cost about that much, but would just be better in terms of numbers, in terms of his pitching. That's exactly what Kyle Gibson's going to be. So that's not the only thing the Orioles were shooting for this offseason, but there's a check mark on the checklist. Get the better version of Lyles. Check. There's a starting pitcher. And again, Kyle Gibson is not starting opening day for the Orioles. He's going to be the four or five starter. You look at the options, even that they have right now. Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, now Kyle Gibson, D.L. Hall, Austin Voth, Tyler Wells. Even if you look at it right now, I would bet that one of Dean Kramer or Kyle Bradish would probably start opening day with the other one going game two. And then you'd maybe go Kyle Gibson game three, but only because he's the veteran. Really, Grayson Rodriguez would be the number three starter. And then you'd slot in Kyle Gibson at number four. And then maybe some D.L. Hall, Tyler Wells piggybacking at number five. There's your rotation if the season started right now. So even if they don't do anything else, Gibson's not really a number one. But that's the whole point. They're going to do more. They're adding Kyle Gibson because they want to sure up the back end of the rotation to then now add the big piece. And as we saw multiple reports this weekend, the Orioles met with Noah Syndergaard on Zoom on Friday. Now, is Noah Syndergaard that ace piece? No. And I think if the O's also sign Syndergaard, they still need to add another pitcher. Because if the O's add two pitchers this offseason, and it's Syndergaard and Gibson, I think that makes the team better, but I'd be very disappointed in that. They also are in on Carlos Rodon, according to John Heyman, writing about that on Saturday. He would certainly be the ace at the top of the rotation. And names like Chris Bassett and Jamison Tyone are definitely better than Gibson and certainly would make sense for the Orioles to go pick up. And there's still the trade candidates out there like Pablo Lopez, maybe Edward Cabrera, Corbin Burns, you know, guys like that who they could certainly go after and have the prospects to easily go get in a trade as well. So the big thing to remember, just because the O's signed Gibson now and Gibson was their first signing, doesn't mean they're done. Heard Jordan Schusterman say this on the Baseball Barbacast over the weekend, and it's really important to hear as a fan. You know, the order of moves really matters in terms of how fans react. Say the Orioles end up signing Carlos Rodon. They're in on him. I hope they do. It's going to be a bidding war. They could get him. We will see. If the O's sign Carlos Rodon on Thursday, no one's going to be mad about Kyle Gibson anymore. Everyone's going to be ecstatic about Rodon and looking at, oh, Rodon won. You got the young guys. You got Gibson at the end. This is a good rotation. But you were mad about Gibson a lot for the weekend. Now flip that around. Say they had signed Carlos Rodon on Friday, and then next Thursday they signed Kyle Gibson. Then no one's mad about Kyle Gibson. Everyone's still happy about Rodon at the top of the rotation. Then they say, oh, Kyle Gibson, nice add in the number five spot. Good depth piece. Good veteran to eat innings at the back end. This is a perfect fit, you know, to cap off this rotation. The order really matters. They'd end up with the two same players, but the reaction becomes very, very different. So it's just a lesson in be patient. The winter meetings just started as I'm recording. The O's are going to add more. I am confident they're going to add at least one more starting pitcher who is going to be better than Gibson and slot higher in the rotation than Gibson. So if the O's do, do go get that, that guy, and I hope it's Rodon, or even if it's Bassett or a guy like Kodai Senga, that free agent addition is your number one pitcher. Then you hope Grayson Rodriguez is number two, but let's not put it all on the rookie. 
free agent, Carlos Rodonce, number one. Kyle Bradish, number two. Dean Kramer, number three. Grayson Rodriguez, number four. And there's Kyle Gibson at number five. And you still have D.L. Hall, Tyler Wells, Austin Voth waiting in the wings. But Gibson is going to be in this rotation. If the Orioles are paying him what I think it's going to be on this major league deal, he's going to be in this rotation. And I saw a lot of the argument, too, of, well, you know, Dean Kramer was so good and Kyle Bradish was so good and they have Rodriguez and Hall and Wells and all these guys. Why would you bring in Kyle Gibson and, and pay money for him? You know, he's not as good as any of those guys. Hear this loud and clear. You cannot rely on unproven guys to lead a rotation of a team that is trying to go to the playoffs. Before the Kyle Gibson signing, the Orioles did not have anyone, let me repeat, did not have anyone in their projected opening day starting rotation who had had even one good full MLB season. You would have projected Grayson Rodriguez never pitching an inning in the big leagues. Dean Kramer, one terrible season, And one season where, yeah, he was good, but he missed the first two months with injury, had another bad month, and only threw 120 innings. That's not enough for me to say Dean Kramer's good. Kyle Bradish wasn't good for a while, missed a lot of time with injury in his rookie season. Yeah, he finished strong, not nearly enough of a sample size. Tyler Wells, one good season as a reliever, two-thirds of a season as an okay starter who couldn't pitch deep into games and then got injured twice. That's not good enough of a sample size. Austin Voth, terrible with the Nats. A good half of the season with the O's. Didn't pitch past five innings. I'm not trusting that. D.L. Hall made one major league start. Looked good in the bullpen in 13 innings. You cannot go into a season with that many question marks. You need guys like Kyle Gibson at the back end of the rotation who, yeah, they're not aces. And I won't even say they're not all-stars because he was a 2021 all-star, but maybe he's not that pitcher anymore. I think the O's could get him back to that level, but even if they don't, His full seasons, his last, I mean, five full seasons, 29 starts, 32 starts, 29 starts, 30 starts, 31 starts. A couple more seasons in there, 31 starts, 32 starts. He eats innings, he stays healthy, and he's out there every five days. And he's proven, you know, Kyle Gibson has four good full MLB seasons under his belt. The rest of the O's rotation right now has zero. You need guys you can fall back on as depth, as innings eaters, as veteran leaders that are better than Lyles. That's what the Orioles got in Kyle Gibson. But it wasn't the only Orioles news of the weekend. They actually made a few more moves on Friday as well. Now, they were very minor, not nearly to the impact that Gibson will have, but wanted to touch on them briefly coming up next to end the podcast because a couple of these guys maybe could be on the Major League roster next year, and also talk about where the O's roster stands as they head into the winter meetings. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Simply Safe. At Locked On Orioles, we believe home should be where you and your family feel safest, especially over the holidays. This season, give yourself and your family the gift of peace and protection with the number one rated home security system, Simply Safe. And right now, Simply Safe is offering Locked On Orioles listeners 40% off a new security system. Don't put this off. Now, here's why we love it. In an emergency, 24/7 professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real so you can get higher priority 
police response. And the 24-7 professional monitoring service costs under a dollar a day, and there is a top-ranked Simply Safe app. It's so easy to use right from your phone. You stay in complete control of your system right in your pocket. So don't miss your chance to save big on our favorite security system. Get 40% off any new system at simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. That's simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So the Orioles did add Kyle Gibson on a one-year major league contract on Friday, but they also added two other players to the organization and subtracted two players as well in a very busy Friday for the Orioles a couple days before the winter meetings got started. I wanted to run through you know, some of those moves and just talk about quickly how they may impact the 2023 Orioles. So let's start with Lewin Diaz, who the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Pittsburgh Pirates on Friday. Now, Diaz was actually DFA'd earlier in the offseason by the Marlins, claimed by the Pirates, then they immediately DFA'd him, and the Orioles pick him up. Now, Diaz, who was traded to the Marlins as a prospect, did get to the big leagues with Miami and has played partial big league seasons in the last three years, 2020, 21, and 22. Now, he currently does sit on the 40-man roster because he was a major league waiver claim. And the 26-year-old first baseman, a left-handed hitter, is first and foremost known for his elite first base defense. Now, you don't hear that about a lot of guys, elite first base defender. And he really doesn't play any other positions, but he's that good at first base. He's never been an everyday starter for the Marlins in any of the last three years, yet he has amassed 16 defensive run save combined over his three partial MLB seasons just at first base alone. That is hard to do, and I think many in the game think he might be the best defensive first baseman out there. So that is what he gives you on the defensive side. On the offensive side, Lewin Diaz, let's say not so much. 2022 with the Marlins, Diaz had 174 plate appearances, he hit five home runs, but he hit just 169 with a 224 on base and a 288 slugging. Good for just a 45 WRC+. plus. He was 55% worse than league average. And over his three seasons, in 343 big league plate appearances, he has a 54 WRC+. plus. Quite frankly, he's been a terrible hitter at the big league level. Now, he's been very good at AAA as a hitter. So what we're looking at in Lewin Diaz is... A 4A guy right now, a guy who's too good for AAA, but just hasn't found it with the bat in the big leagues. And the big problem has been anything off speed. He's been able to hit fastballs and hit home runs on fastballs, but Lewin Diaz this season hit under 100 on all non-fastballs, whether they were change-ups or breaking balls. He hit under 100 combined against those pitches. That's not going to fly in the big leagues. So the question is, he's on the 40-man roster, can he stick on the 40-man roster? I would guess no. If he's been DFA'd by the Marlins and Pirates already this offseason, the Orioles probably will DFA him at some point too, just to add a better player to the 40-man. In fact, if a better option comes across on waivers, they may just claim that guy and DFA Diaz. But if he does stick around, he's going to have to hit his way onto the roster because... His bat is not nearly good enough to be in any sort of Ryan Mountcastle platoon at first base. He doesn't play another position. You're certainly not going to DH him because a lot of his value is at first base. And because Ryan Mountcastle got so good defensively this year at first base, he doesn't have that kind of hole in his game anymore. He's the complete first baseman. His offensive stats are going to get better. He got super unlucky this year, maybe more unlucky than any hitter on the Orioles. He's going to be fine. Diaz can't hit, has a 31% strikeout rate. 
I don't think defense at first base gets him on the roster, but he's certainly an option. He used to be a top prospect, and maybe the O's can figure something out with that swing. Now, speaking of trying to figure something out, the other guy the Orioles added on Friday was Franchi Cordero. They added the 28-year-old outfielder slash first baseman on a split minor league deal on Friday. What a split deal means is if Cordero ends up on the major league team with the O's, he will make $1.35 million in the majors in 2023. If he ends up in the minors, he'll make $450,000. So a lot banks on Cordero figuring things out and getting on the big league roster. Now, a lot of teams have tried to fix Franchi Cordero. Since he came to the big leagues in 2017, he's played for the Padres, the Royals, and the Red Sox. It was the Red Sox who let him go this year. He spent 2022 in Boston, had 275 plate appearances. Now, he hit just 219, but did have a 300 on base, a 397 slugging with eight homers. Did get him up to a 92 WRC+. Plus. So despite hitting 219, he was only 8% worse than a league average hitter. But he is a strikeout monster. I mean, it is absurd. In his parts of five big league seasons with, again, San Diego, Kansas City, and Boston, he's got 726 career plate appearances in the big leagues. That's a little over kind of a full everyday big league season. He has just an 83 career WRC plus and a 35% strikeout rate to a 9% walk rate. Let me put a 35% strikeout rate really into context here. The highest strikeout rate of any qualified hitter this year in Major League Baseball was Patrick Wisdom of the Cubs, and he had a 34% strikeout rate. So Cordero, over five seasons, has a higher K rate than the guy who led the league in that stat in 2022. He swings and misses a lot, but when he hits the ball, he mashes the ball. And that's why Cordero, despite his struggles and despite being 28, continues to get chances from different teams because you see the flashes. Cordero, for example, he hit a ball 117.9 miles per hour off the bat this year with the Red Sox. That was the sixth hardest hit ball of the season by any player in Major League Baseball in 2022. And when he hits it, he does hit it that hard. Has a lot of hard hit balls, a lot of balls over 100 miles per hour off his bat since 2017. But he can't find the consistency. He's also bad defensively in the outfield, so he's more of an, a first baseman slash emergency corner outfielder at this point. But the Orioles are going to get him in the system. It helps that he's on a minor league deal, so he's not on the 40-man roster. He's not taking up a roster spot. You just bring him to spring training with the fact that he could end up just in AAA for a while, and you really try and work on that swing and try and find what the Padres, Royals, and Red Sox couldn't. Can we figure out this guy to just get the K percentage maybe down to 28% from 35%, and then he can start to hit the ball, make a little more contact, and let that big swing, those hard hits, those exit velocities really play for Franchi Cordero. Now, they did add two guys, and I will say for Diaz or Cordero, I don't imagine either of them having a big impact on the Orioles next year. These are basically two flyers the Orioles are taking that had big prospect status at one point, haven't really worked out in the majors, have been 4A guys. Cordero has just torn up AAA the past couple of years, but it hasn't translated to the majors. These are two guys they're going to bring in, work with the hitting coaches, see if they can get something to click, and if not, they'll cut them free next year. But the O's did lose a couple of guys that they basically tried to do the same thing with earlier this offseason. They outrighted Daz Cameron off the 40-man roster. Now Cameron did accept his assignment to AAA Norfolk. He was the center fielder. The Orioles claimed off waivers from the Tigers a couple weeks ago. Great defender. Again, used to be a big prospect. Mike Cameron's son, but the bats never come around. So he'll stay in AAA for now. And then they also DFA Jake Cave, 
the veteran outfielder who they had claimed off waivers from the Twins earlier this offseason, left-handed hitter, was kind of a left-handed, maybe slightly better Ryan McKenna. That's how I described him. He was DFA'd, and Cave was actually claimed off waivers by the Phillies. So Cave is now out of the organization, and those two guys basically kind of replaced by Diaz and Cordero. So after all those moves, and if you assume Kyle Gibson is being added to the roster, that would put the Orioles 40-man roster at 38 players, which means they enter the winter meetings with two open spots. Now that number at 38 is going to change. They're going to have at least one and probably two open spots by the time we get to Wednesday evening and the Rule 5 draft, because the O's always like to take a player there. But you would hope they add some other guys this week, which means some guys like Lewin Diaz and maybe some others who were with the O's in 2022 in danger of being DFA'd as well. But whether it's subtractions or additions to the roster, we will have it all covered right here all week covering the winter meetings here on the Locked On Orioles podcast. And we'll be back tomorrow to talk about all the Orioles news coming out of San Diego. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.